Hey, welcome again to Living Hope. Wonderful to be with you. I am Pastor Tim. We're continuing in the last chapter of our series in the book of Ruth, Kinsman Redeemer. I was thinking about real estate transaction this week, as you'll find out this morning in Ruth chapter 4. How many of you bought or sold a house or a piece of property in the last two years? All right. How about three years? I need to get a little bigger sample size. All right, five years. All right, there we go. All right, hands up, hands up if you've bought or sold a piece of property or real estate in the last five years. Uh, now, keep your hands up if the process was simple, easy, no hiccups, no problems. Wow, a couple of you kept your hands up. Praise God for that. Most of us have stories uh, of buying houses, selling houses buy, that are just like nightmares, right? Lots of hiccups, lots of problems. Often, buying and selling real estate is not an easy practice. Kids, I hope you appreciate the house where you live, because more than likely, your dad had, mom and dad had to put a lot of time and energy and money into getting you there. It wasn't easy. I remember 15 years ago, when we were moving here to Plant Living Hope, and we sold our house in Elkton. We had a, a, a contract on our house in Elkton, but then just thing after thing after thing went wrong. We got the appraisal back. The appraisal on the house came in low. We actually had to lower the selling price then they did the home inspection and they found one little like inch and a half long empty termite trail in a detached cement garage but the whole entire property then had to be treated for termites then we had moved up here to new freedom already uh, as the house was under contract and we were waiting it to be sold and a, a, a pipe burst a 79 cent l connection on a pipe upstairs in the bathroom burst the entire second or half the second floor of the the, the downstairs was flooded we had to then pay and at some point our real estate agent was like you just got to do whatever these contractors or these these buyers want because this was 2007 what happened in 2007 the bubble burst, right? So this was like right as that was about happening, and 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 it, it it was a struggle. It was a challenge. Now, what we're going to read about in Ruth chapter four is a real estate action that was also not easy, simple, not quite as bad, honestly, as the disaster that I experienced 15 years ago. But it was it wasn't easy, right? There's some some loopholes, some 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 challenges to jump through, obstacles. So we're in the book of Ruth. This is our last. Last scene, last chapter, hopefully by now you know the story, right? Naomi and Ruth, or excuse me, Naomi and Elimelech, her husband, uh, move from Israel, from the land of Judah, to the place called Moab because there was a famine. While they're in Moab, Naomi's husband Elimelech dies, her two sons get married, they both die. Now Naomi is left alone in this foreign land of Moab with these two daughters-in-law. Orpah goes back to her family, Ruth pledges herself to Naomi, her mother-in-law, pledges her devotion to her, to her people, and to her God. They move back to the little town of Bethlehem, where they're from, to resettle. But they're widows. Ruth is a foreign immigrant. Naomi is is hopeless, poor, even bitter, we find out. And their only hope for survival, or their best hope, is through this concept called a kinsman redeemer. And so they have this plan to catch the attention of a godly man named Boaz... And Boaz, they hope, will marry Ruth, will buy Naomi's property, will basically rescue them out of poverty, marry Ruth to continue the family line. So kinsman is that that kind of old word for family, redeemer, a rescuer, right? Boaz, we hope, we don't know yet, unless you skipped ahead and read chapter 4, or you've heard the story before, we don't know yet what's going to happen. 
But we do know that the night before the events that we're going to read this morning, we heard last week that Ruth has made her intentions known to Boaz. She wants Boaz to redeem the family. Boaz has said that he will marry Ruth. He will redeem the family. Boaz is, a, is an honorable man, we've, we've found out in the book of Ruth. He's going to purchase their property, but there's just one problem. See, before this real estate transaction can happen, there's an obstacle, and the obstacle is this. Boaz is not the closest living relative. There's another man in Bethlehem, maybe a, a cousin, maybe Boaz is a second cousin, maybe there's a first cousin, we don't know, but another relative living in Bethlehem that was closer to the, to the patriarch of the family, Elimelech. And so Boaz says, we've got to check with him first. And that's what we're going to read about. Boaz is going to check with this other relative to say, do you want to redeem the family? Do you want to step up and rescue this family out of poverty and purchase the property? So we're going to read in three sections this morning. Kids, you should have gotten a coloring page on your way in. If you did not, you are welcome to get up now and grab one from the back. There's some crayons in the back. You can color on the page. But we're going to look at three key verses Kids, I expect you when we get to those points to fill in the the key verses there on your outline. Take notes along with us. So chapter 4 is the conclusion of this story. And we're going to see here in chapter 4 God as the restorer of life. He's going to restore life to this family. Look at uh, verses 1 through 6 with me if you would. Ruth chapter 4 verses 1 through 6. Let's hear first about Boaz's inheritance. The word of God says this, now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there and behold the redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down and he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know. For there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Let's pause there for now and and unpack this. Boaz goes to the city gate. He's going to wait for this other relative, the guy who's who's called the Redeemer. And we kind of need to use quotes, right? The Redeemer, who's going to come by. Now, in the ancient world, the city gate was kind of like the town hall. It was the, the city center. It was where the elders of the city would gather and talk about business and politics, where commerce and trade would happen. It was kind of the de facto court house of these small towns and villages and the elders would would hold hearings there and decide right and wrong and so Boaz waits at the city gate he invites this other relative to come sit down then he asks 10 other elders of the city to sit down with them and they're holding a little a little court a little hearing and there these other 10 elders are going to be witnesses to what's going to take place and Boaz explains to this other relative who apparently doesn't know the history Naomi and Elimelech moved away. Elimelech died. Naomi is back. She's got this property. She needs to unload it. But the laws of Israel require that a a close relative buy the property. And so the man is like, hey, 
I'm up for this. I would like to buy the property. I'll be, I'll redeem the family. Boaz says, you know, let me know what you're going to do because because I'm next. In other words, like I'm I'm the next closest relative. If you don't want this, I'm going to do it. Now, I would imagine, just to pause here for a moment, I would imagine this was not an easy thing for Boaz to do. Remember, Boaz has known Ruth for several months now, right? He admires her, probably some level of attraction, maybe even the beginnings of love. Boaz has already shown himself to be generous. He's provided for Ruth and Naomi. Boaz said the night before, hey, I want to marry you, right? Boaz has got to be hoping in the back of his mind, I hope this guy says no. Right? It was not an easy thing to do to go to the city gate and to ask this. But Boaz is a man of integrity. He maybe could have just bought the property and married Ruth without telling the other guy. But he's not going to do it unless he does it the right way. He's an honorable man. And I think it was probably hard. He's probably hoping, please say no, please say no. Right? Because he wants to marry Ruth. He has love and affection. He's already been caring for this family. But first he's got to give this other relative an opportunity to step up and be the redeemer of the family. Now, some of you may be asking, wait a minute, Naomi and Ruth came back, they were poor, they're destitute. If they have this property, like, what do they need a man to bail them out for, right? Well, here's the deal. Naomi technically still has the rights to this family land, but she doesn't have the means socially, legally, financially, doesn't have the means to manage the land, to farm the land, to turn a profit on the land. It's in the rights, still in the name of her husband, Elimelech, but, but she needs someone else who can buy it, who can manage it, who can farm it, who can help them to survive. Now, this is not ultimately just about land. Land in Israel, for the people of God at that time, was crucial. It was a crucial family connection and connection to the covenant and the promises of God. It, your land was your connection to God's covenant, the covenant community. It was much more than just a way to raise crops and turn a profit. See, when the 12 tribes had originally come in and conquered the promised land, the land was divided up among them, and each tribe and each family was assigned a piece of of land, and it was called their inheritance. And the law stipulated that no property in Israel could be permanently sold outside of your direct family line. And so your plot, your inheritance would stay in your family line. Your connection to what God had given to his people. It was your identity. So this must be sold to somebody in the family line. Now the closer relative, as we read, initially says, yeah, I'll buy the property. But as soon as Boaz adds, well, well, wait a minute, if you're truly going to be the kinsman redeemer, you also, by the way, have to marry Ruth, this eligible widow, and continue the family line of Elimelech. And here's what the closest relative said. Kids, this is our first key verse you see there on your outline. Ruth 4, 6, follow along with me on the screen. The closest relative said this, I cannot redeem it. This is the new, uh, new American Standard Version. He says, I cannot redeem it for myself because I would jeopardize, you can fill that word in on your paper, I would jeopardize my own inheritance. Redeem it for yourself. You may have my right of redemption for I cannot redeem it. And so now the man is backing out. He's saying, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. If you're talking about marrying Ruth, Uh, raising children with her, I'm out. Like, you take this for yourself. It's too much for me. Now, it's ironic that he's he's still called the Redeemer, even though he's not redeeming anything. And so he he basically gives the the right back to Boaz. He says, I'm going to jeopardize my own inheritance. To jeopardize something means to put it at risk. I guess that's why they named the the game show Jeopardy, right? Because you're constantly risking and wagering how much are you going to bet. He says, I'm going to potentially endanger my own land, my own property, my own financial stability. 
I'm going to jeopardize my own inheritance. His inheritance is not just financially what he's going to leave to his family, but we're talking about his legacy. He's like, this could affect my legacy here. Not just what my family is going to live on after I'm gone, but my family line and my blessing that I give to them. And so he says, you take my right of redemption. You take my right to serve as the kinsman redeemer. You buy the land. You marry Ruth for yourself and rescue the family. Now, if you're following along in the story, if you've been with us the last few weeks, you should be cheering. Somebody cheer. This, this is good. We, we're rooting for Boaz, right? Like we've been introduced to him in chapter 2. We know he's a good man. He's a godly man. He's been taking care of, of Ruth and Naomi. He's been honorable. We want him to marry Ruth. We're like, yes, this other guy backed out. That, that means that the hero we've been rooting for can now come in and rescue the family. It's exactly what we want. Now, some of you that have been rooting for, for Boaz are, are unsure. Like, wait a minute, if this other guy didn't want to do it and Boaz is going to do it, is it going to be bad for Boaz? Here's why the closer relative didn't want to be the kinsman redeemer. He would have been happy to purchase the property, in, increase his, his farming land, expand his, his estate. But as soon as it's mentioned that he would have to marry Ruth, he knows, wait a minute, wait a minute, this, this has the potential to be a detriment, right? He would have had to put up money for the land, manage the land, then also care for Ruth and Naomi. But here's the, the, the big thing. The very first son that... that that this man and Ruth would have had in their marriage would have actually become the legal descendant of the deceased husband, Malone. And then that son would carry on the family line of Elimelech and Naomi. And when that son, the first son of the marriage, was old enough, he would take on the land that the man had just bought. It would become his son's, not part of his estate, not part of his family line. It would become part of the family line of Elimelech. A separate estate, a separate family inheritance. And so that's why the guy says in verse 6, I can't do this, it's going to jeopardize my own inheritance. Because the son, who is legally going to be from a different family line, is going to take over this land, take over this property. It's going to be his. And so you're asking me to put up money for something that I'm not going to get a return on my investment for? He says, I can't do it. He'll have all of the responsibility to care for the new property, care for the new wife, raise up new children, but none of the benefits. Now, some of you know it was common in, in ancient times for the father of a bride to give a dowry, right, to a new couple. When, when a new couple got married, it was a gift to help them start their life together, together. Ruth is this widow. She comes with like a reverse dowry, okay? She actually has a financial liability attached to her needing to be redeemed. And so the man, in, in, in declining to take on the responsibility of kinsman redeemer, He's doing what many of us do every day of our lives. He's simply acting in his own best interests, seeking to protect and preserve his own inheritance. So Boaz steps up. Now, again, some of you are concerned about Boaz. Well, wait a minute. What about him? Isn't this going to be a, a detriment to him and his inheritance? But we have come to know Boaz. We know that he acts with integrity, with honor, with generosity, ultimately with the heart of God, right? He's been taking care of Ruth and Naomi for probably a good two months now. He's a God-fearing man. He's a selfless man. And ultimately, he is doing what, yes, has the potential to be detrimental to his own estate, but he's doing it because he has the heart of God. 
And, and while stepping up to redeem Naomi and Ruth may be a financial liability, while it may in the end detract from his own personal family inheritance, he's motivated by something far greater. He's motivated by, I believe, his eternal inheritance. See, Boaz is concerned not just about a financial legacy, but about a legacy of service, of redemption, of love. And he's acting with the heart of God. And he's able to live in light of his true inheritance before God. And so he's going to build into the inheritance of Elimelech, of Naomi, of Ruth, knowing that ultimately it will honor the Lord. Ultimately, he's motivated by something far greater. Building the inheritance of this other family is ultimately going to leave him with the most important legacy that he could ever ask for. And here we are, thousands of years later, talking about the legacy that this man Boaz left. That's his inheritance. And we see here, I believe, such a beautiful picture. And our call for each and every one of you, whether you're the head of, the fam- head of a family, whether you're just starting out in life, friends, kids, let's not be people that, that live for the wealth of this world, for the property of this world. Let's not live our lives focused on some kind of temporal inheritance for our family. Let's not live our lives. This was a big decision they had to make. But even our small decisions cannot be made with our own personal interests in mind. Because all of that stuff is going to fade. And your own financial status and career success and standing and name and how many followers you have online. And your reputation and and your bank account and, and the properties and the vacation homes. And whatever it is that you think you're storing up to leave behind to make an impact. All of that is going to fade. And, and, and the call is to do what, what Boaz has set an example for us, which is to invest in the kingdom of God. He has the heart of God. He reflects the heart of, of even Christ himself. Making his decisions, living his life based upon love, upon service, upon sacrifice and generosity. Leaving behind, our call is to leave behind a legacy that's going to last for eternity. Moms and dads, the best thing you can do for your children is not to pay for their college, although that's not bad. It's not to, not to leave them a down payment for their next house. It's to give them the kingdom, to sacrifice, to serve, to love. Maybe some of you are now in a position of life where your, your legacy is not pouring into your children, but maybe pouring into your adult parents that you're caring for. Maybe some of you don't have biological children. And, and so your legacy, the inheritance that you're passing on is to the next generation of your spiritual children. Of the kids that you mentor in youth group. The kids that you teach in Sunday school. Maybe, maybe the neighbor across the fence who, who you watch after school three or four days a week. And you're investing in them and you're sacrificing them and you're serving them. And you're leaving them an eternal inheritance, an eternal legacy as you sacrifice yourself. Not acting in your own interests, but in the interests of God's kingdom. And so I pray and I hope that God would give us the courage. Give us the courage to be a people that serve, that give, that love, that sacrifice in the name of Jesus. By not just the example of Boaz, but by the example of Jesus. And the infilling, the empowering of our Savior Jesus. To live for those in need. Whether it be widows and orphans like we see here in Ruth. Whether it be those in, in financial strain. Or maybe even more so those that are, that are hurting emotionally, spiritually. 
That's Boaz's true inheritance that he's leaving, his legacy. Let's continue in the story and read about this real estate transaction that's going to happen next as Boaz buys the property from Naomi. Now what happens is very strange. What we see happening is a very strange custom. And to get the point across, to explain what we're going to read next, kids, I need your help. So what I need you to do is put down your paper and your pencil. If you normally go to Sunday school, kids, I need you to all come up front here and gather here on the floor in front of me. Uh, Ryan's going to come up and and help corral you guys. So everybody come on up. Um, Full disclosure, you are going to need to take a shoe off. So if that weirds you out or something, you know. But come on up. We're going to have some fun. I need everybody to pile up front here in a group. And here's what I want you to do. I need everybody to take a shoe off. One shoe, only one shoe, and throw it in a pile. Okay, Ryan, help them pile up their shoes. Everybody throw one of your shoes into a big pile. Once you get them down there, Ryan, I want you to mix them up and spin them around so that nobody knows where their shoe is. Okay? Everybody got one in? All right. Ryan, mix them up. Get your hands down there. All right. Now, next, I want you to calmly, boys, be gentle, dive in there and grab a shoe that is not yours. Everybody get somebody else's shoe. Grab a shoe and then sit down right here on the carpet, fold your legs and sit down. And I'm going to read for you the next section of God's word in Ruth chapter four. We're going to begin in verse seven. We're going to read seven to 12. Everybody needs a different shoe. All right. Now, kids, listen up, listen up to the word. We're going to read Ruth 4, 7 to 12, and hopefully you'll understand why I just made you grab somebody else's stinky shoe. All right? Here's what the word says. Verse 7. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction. The one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belong to Elimelech and all that belong to Chilion and Malone. Also Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of Malone, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord... Make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, who Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. Did you guys catch that? No? So listen. Back in the ancient times of Israel, when you sold a piece of property, you didn't have a big long contract, or you didn't type something in and send an email. You know what they would do to buy a piece of property? You'd take off your shoe, and you'd hand it to the other guy, and he would take your shoe. And that's how they would know that you had bought the piece of property. And so if you're following along in the story, this relative of Naomi decides he doesn't want to buy it. So he's giving his right to Boaz. He's essentially selling Boaz the property or the right to the property. And so he takes off his shoe and he gives it back to Boaz and he says, here, redeem it for yourself. So what I want you guys to do now is to stand up. You got to find the person who has the shoe that matches you. Listen, this is important. When you hand it back to them, you need to say the words, redeem it for yourself. 
So give it back to the person. Come on, you got to really sell it, okay? Redeem it. That's right. There you go. Redeem it for yourself. You're giving them the opportunity to buy this property. And now this is an official real estate transaction. Do you, do you guys believe them? Are they, are they selling it? All right, everybody get your own shoe. Once you have your own shoe, you may return to your seat. Great job, guys. See, the Bible has been brought to life, right? Thank you guys for acting that out for us. Many people think that that custom originated from the idea that when you had your land, that land was yours to walk, right? And that you, it was your right to walk across this land. But when you sold a piece of property and you took your shoe off, you were in essence saying, I no longer have the right to walk this land. I give you my sandal. And now this property belongs, it is now your right to walk on this property. But that was the custom. That was how they signed, sealed, and delivered the transaction. And I don't know. Maybe Boaz had to like carry it around for a year or something. Carry the other guy's sandal. And then if somebody saw them, somebody was like, Hey, Boaz, what are you doing on Elimelech's old property? That doesn't belong to you. That's the other, you know, closer relative's property. That guy named Frank. And then Boaz could pull out and say, No, no, I got Frank's sandal. Frank gave me the right to this property, right? And he would carry that around maybe, like as proof. No, no, this belongs to me, right? I'm a size 10. Frank wears size 11. This is his sandal. Confirming what had happened. So there's this shoe exchange. And Boaz says in verse 9 to the other elders, you are all witnesses. You're witnesses that I am stepping up as the kinsman redeemer to buy the property belonging to Elimelech. To buy the property that would have gone to his sons, Chilion and Malone. Look at what Boaz says in in chapter 4, verse 10. This is our second key verse. You can fill in the blanks and read along with me, kids. Boaz says this to the elders. Moreover, I have acquired Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malone, to be my wife, in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance, so that the name of the deceased will not be cut off from his brothers or from the court of his birthplace. You are witnesses today. Boaz proclaims loudly, I imagine he had practiced this speech for weeks leading up to this. He's excited. He wants to redeem the family. He wants to marry Ruth. And he confidently and boldly says, I am the redeemer. I buy the property. I will marry Ruth. I will raise up the family line of Elimelech. Elimelech and his sons, that whole, that whole family would have ended. But he says, now I will marry Ruth and produce an heir. The ESV says he will perpetuate the name of the dead. But the the literal translation of the Hebrew, as the New American Standard says, is I will raise up the name of the deceased. This way the family name and the memory of the dead will not be erased, will not be cut off. I will raise up the name of the dead on this property. Do you see what Boaz is doing? His role as kinsman redeemer is not just to help out financially. It's not just to to provide physically for these two women and raise them up out of of poverty. Boaz is quite literally raising a dead family back to life. Elimelech, the, the patriarch of the family, had died in Moab. Both of his sons had died. Their mother and their wives were destitute widows. That's why Naomi was so full of of bitterness and grief in chapter 1 because she knew it wasn't just her life being over. Her whole family line was dead. They would have been forgotten, erased from the records of God's covenant people in Israel. And so she returns 
to Israel in chapter 1 and she says, I left here full, but now I am empty. Remember, she thought she was forgotten. But we know that the Lord has not forgotten her, that God was not finished. And so God provided a kinsman redeemer for this family and God was raising Naomi and her dead husband essentially back to life. God is restoring life to the clan of Elimelech. See, we read in the book of Ruth, God doing what God loves to do. He brings hope out of despair. He brings joy out of sorrow. He brings life out of death. Listen, friends, the book of Ruth is a resurrection story. You may have never read it like that, but but hear me out. Jesus, in Luke 24, says that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Jesus said, it is written in the Old Testament that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise again from the dead. And Jesus was teaching us to read the Old Testament, not as a book of good stories, not as a book of moral lessons, but as a book about Jesus. And every, every book of the Old Testament looks ahead foreshadows the life, death, resurrection, and return of Jesus. And the book of Ruth specifically proclaims the resurrection of the Messiah. This kinsman redeemer steps up to do what Jesus one day would do for you and I. In rising back from the dead, Jesus raises up our name, restores us to life. And this is one of the many places in the Old Testament that that we find fulfillment through the resurrection of the Messiah. That the Messiah who would one day come as our Redeemer, who now has the power to raise us back to life. And Boaz here is foreshadowing Jesus. Foreshadowing his role to redeem and raise us back to life. And so friends, for those of you that are here this morning that you feel hopeless, you feel Like you're just ready to give up. You think I'm as good as dead. Naomi wasn't actually dead, but her family line was. You may think it's too late. It's too late for me, Pastor Tim. I have passed the point of redemption. Passed the point where my life could mean anything. Whatever age that is. If you're young, you're thinking like 40, right? If you haven't figured it out by 40, right? If you're older, you're like, hey, I'm 70, I'm 75, I'm 80. And some of you think it's too late for me. The best I can hope for is to just ride out the end of my life. And maybe, maybe God will have mercy on me. You think it's too late? You think it's too late for God to give you a husband? Give you a wife? You think it's too late for God to give you the children that you have longed for? Talk to the family in our congregation that for 10 years dealt with infertility. They just had their third baby. You think it's too late for God to save your children? You say, I prayed fervently for my son or for my daughter when they were in their early 20s. I prayed fervently that they would come to know Jesus, that they would leave the life of this world. But now they're in their late 30s. It's too late for them. Their their life is already on a course. Do you think it's too late for God to redeem, to save, to raise up your son or daughter that has walked away from the Lord? It's never too late. Naomi was as good as dead and God raised her back to life. You think it's too late for God to give your life purpose? You think it's too late for God to give you meaning in this life? You think that your, your battle with sin or with addiction is too ingrained biologically, physically, emotionally, spiritually? You think it's too ingrained for God to rescue you out of those habits? You think it's too late for you to be forgiven? You think the pattern of sin and hurt and brokenness that you have wrought, and, and you might have a, a decades of destruction in your wake, and I'm not justifying that, I'm not explaining it, but I am saying it's not too late for God to forgive you 
for who you are and what you've done. You think it's too late for God to restore your marriage? I know a couple that was divorced. They were divorced for years. The wife kept praying, and you know what? They're now remarried this day. You are not too poor. You are not too old. You are not too far gone. And, and, and if the devil tries to get you to believe that, you look at him in the face and you say, hogwash. Hogwash. It's not too late. I'm not too far gone. Even if you are dead, Jesus can raise you back to life because our God is a redeemer and he loves to raise the dead. He loves to bring hope out of despair. He loves to bring victory out of defeat. And in Christ, we can proclaim the words of 1 Corinthians 15, where the scriptures say that death has been swallowed up in victory. And so we now say, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we see that in the book of Ruth, that Boaz, the hand of God that day, raising this family name back to life, restoring their place in Israel, restoring them back into covenant community with God and with his people, just as God can do for each of us through the death and resurrection of Christ. Have faith, have hope, be encouraged. The timeline may be and very often is much longer. That arc of redemption is often much longer than we would like. And most of us have about a two-day span to put up with trials or hardships, right? But sometimes two days is two months or two years or two decades. But trust the Lord's timing. Believe that he has a purpose, that he will raise the dead back to life. He will redeem. He will rescue. The people that are there that day, we see in verses 11 and 12, they understand what's going on. The people of the city start praising God. They start proclaiming blessings on, on Boaz and Naomi and Ruth. They're super excited. They see what's happening. They see the miracle that's happening before their eyes. And they pray that this family will have many children, be a strong family. The last section concludes showing us what God's going to do. Showing us how he's going to redeem this family. Let's read the, the last few verses, picking up in verse 13, and see Naomi's restoration. She has now seen her husband's name come back to life. Now we're going to see God restore to her all that has been lost. Read along with me in verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughters-in-law who love you is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashem. Nashem fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed, Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. It's an amazing ending to this book. Boaz and Ruth get married. They do what married couples are prone to do, and the Lord gives them a son. Naomi and Ruth found this redemption and these themes of, of rest and security and family that they've been longing for since chapter 1. Now they have. 
And Naomi is no longer empty and bitter. Now she is pleasant and she is full. Look at this third key verse here in Ruth 4, 14 and 15. Kids, fill in this last one with me. Listen to what the women of the city say to Naomi. Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a redeemer today. And may his name become famous in Israel. May he also be to you a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given birth to him. As you fill in those words, restorer of life and sustainer of old age, listen, the women of the city knew what God was doing and they're blessing Naomi who is now the matriarch, who is, is now full again. And they say, blessed is Yahweh. Bless Yahweh, the Lord God. He has not left you, Naomi, without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. And may God be to you a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age. Now listen, up to this point, as you listen to the prayer and the the words of these women, up until this point, they're praising Yahweh, right? They're praising God, the one who who has restored. That means given back and returned life to Naomi, who is sustaining her. She's an old woman. She's beyond the age of childbearing, right? She's destitute. God is now sustaining her, giving life back to her, carrying her in her old age. And they're praising Yahweh. But look at the second half of verse 15. Your daughter-in-law, Ruth, who loves you, who's more valuable to you than, than seven sons. Why? Because she has given birth to him, the Bible says. The him is, is who? The him is Obed, Right? They are praising God for what he has done in giving Ruth and Naomi Obed. They started off praising Yahweh because he's the redeemer. But the restorer of life in this verse is actually Obed. This is a reference to Obed. They're saying, Obed is going to restore your life, Naomi. Obed is going to sustain you in your old age. You now have a grandson to take care of you, a grandson to carry your family name. And God will restore and rebuild and return to Naomi all that she lost in the grief and the death and the tragedy. Tragedy still happened. Her husband still died. Her son still died. But now instead of a life of poverty and neglect, she has a grandson. A grandson that will sustain her and take care of her in her old age. And look at what the Lord says in verses 16 and 17. This baby, this baby was born to Boaz and Ruth, right? But the women of the city recognize it as as a blessing for Naomi. This is Naomi's restoration. They actually call the child her son, right? It's actually her grandson, but they're saying, he's going to care for you and provide for you like he's a son. Naomi becomes his nanny and helps raise him. This baby named Obed, whose name means, means servant, means worshiper. And now she will have a family line. And what a family line it will be. Their son Obed will father Jesse, and Jesse will father a little shepherd boy named David. And that little shepherd boy is going to become who? King David, the greatest king that Israel had ever known. And the chapter closes with this genealogy. And listen, I know we skip over genealogies in the Bible because they're not fun to read, but they are so important. Every genealogy in the scriptures is a testimony to the promises of God. It's a testimony to the covenant of God that goes through the seed of the woman. And just as God had said all the way back in Genesis, he will bring a Messiah. He will bring one to crush the head of the serpent through the seed of the woman. And we follow that seed through these genealogies. There's ten names listed here at the end of the book. Probably not a comprehensive genealogy like many in the Old Testament are. 
Obed is called the son of Boaz there at the end of the book. Now, as we've, as we've been talking about for several weeks now, through the, the practice of redemption, he's the legal son of Malone, carrying the family line of Elimelech, inheriting the property. But here we see this biological genealogy, and he's listed with his natural father, Boaz. And we see here at the end of the book what the Lord has done. God has brought redemption and hope. God has brought new life. How? Through the birth of a baby, where? In Bethlehem. Are you blown away right now, what the Lord is setting us up for? He's providing a redeemer, providing a restorer of life for Naomi, for Ruth. In just a few generations, this, this little boy born to a, to a foreigner, to a Moabite woman, just a few generations later is going to produce King David. Through this empty, poor widow and an immigrant foreigner, God is going to raise up the king of Israel. And through that king, to David, God is going to make an eternal covenant. And God would promise and pledge to David that a descendant from your line will always sit on the king of Israel. And he will reign not just over an earthly kingdom, but an eternal kingdom. See, the Messiah would one day descend from the line of Obed. And we see as we trace these genealogies that after hundreds of years, after hundreds of years of God's people waiting that another Redeemer would one day be born. Another Redeemer would one day be born to a poor young woman in Bethlehem. And as the Scriptures say in Galatians 4, the time was right. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive our adoption. See, Jesus of Nazareth is listed in the Gospels. In his genealogy is listed Boaz and Ruth. In his genealogy is listed as being the son of Obed. See, the story of Ruth is part of Jesus' story. And friends, that means it's part of our story. That just as Boaz rescued that family through his line, you and I are now rescued. You and I now have a kinsman redeemer, one to come alongside and rescue and restore what's been broken in our lives. And Jesus, you might say, is our closest relative who just like Boaz set aside his position, married his bride, and now gives us an eternal inheritance. And Jesus, our kinsman redeemer, laid down his life, laid down his life so that your name could be raised up, written in the book of life, now called son or daughter of God himself. And Jesus came to us in our desperate need even more desperate than Ruth and Naomi had been. Jesus came to us, a child born as our restorer of life, to return to us all that was lost by sin, to return to us all that was stolen by the devil, to return to us all that was broken by death. We now have redemption. And so we're going to sing and we're going we're to worship the Lord again. As, as the team comes, let me invite you, let me call you to worship. To give thanks. If you walked in here this morning not knowing that level of peace, not knowing what it is to be rescued out of sin, death, not knowing what it is to be forgiven, not knowing what it is to have the confidence that your name is now written in the book of life, that you have one who loves you, who died for you, who gives himself to you to redeem and rescue you, I call you to put faith in him. As we sing this song, let it be a prayer, let it be a prayer of hope that we, the people of God, now friends, listen, there is... 
deep tragedy and deep brokenness in your own heart, in your own home, in, in, a, in a town this week in Texas. Deep tragedy. But we have a Redeemer. And so we don't go out here with blinders on, but we go out as people of hope. People that can see through the darkness, that can see God's light shining. So let's stand together and worship. Let's stand together and sing and praise that God would restore to us that hope, would raise us back up to life. Not just one day when we die, and praise God for that, but to be people of hope, people of life even now, in the midst of of sin and brokenness and hurt and pain, that we could have hope, that we could offer that hope to others, that we could serve and sacrifice for others, as Boaz did, as Jesus did. And so God, we ask now, that as we sing and as we worship, you would give us faith. You would stir us, that we could be courageous, that we could be men and women of integrity to give ourselves, to lay down our own personal inheritance, to build up the legacy and the inheritance of others. Give us the strength and courage that we see here in this story, but more than that, give us the spirit of Jesus, that we could have hope and light in the midst of despair and darkness. And so we worship you, King Jesus, for your blood on the cross. We worship you for your glorious resurrection. We ask you to fill us, restore us. Restore to us all that's been lost and broken. And we do pray, God, that that would manifest in real ways in our lives. That we would see marriages healed. That we would see children return to faith. That we would see sickness healed. God, that we would see depression and fear and brokenness and sin and addiction broken. Come, Redeemer. Come, Holy Spirit, and restore us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.